Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. A tough road trip. Jamison Tyone, first pitch, De La Cruz. Center field, Bellinger back. How's that for a start? First pitch, bomb. He got a day off yesterday, and he goes full Ferris. Oh, my. Two guys we love highlighting, Ellie De La Cruz with the home run, John Sadak with the home run call. Another one, another home run call of the day for John, So, and another home run for Ellie De La Cruz. But the Reds lose. The Red Lo- Reds lose. They are still in a wild card right now. But here come the Cubs, only a couple games back. <laughs> it's getting nutty. It is getting absolutely nutty after the trade deadline. So we're going to let everything sort of sift its way out when we land next week. Maybe we'll have more defined roles in each division, in each wild card chase. Probably not, because that's not how this season has been. But doesn't matter. Gives us content. Gives us things to talk about. And today what we're talking about is life after the trade deadline. And there's no better person to talk to about all of this than Mike Lowell. Mike Lowell played in the major leagues for 13 years. The Yankees, the Marlins, the Red Sox won a couple world titles. Obviously on MLB Network, obviously co-wrote a book with me, A Deep Drive, and obviously is one of the best talkers that I have ever been around, most articulate guy, and when if you want to get insight, 
that this is the guy that you want to turn to. And that's what we did exactly that. When it comes to trade deadline, what it's like before, what it's like during, what it's like after. And now we're dealing with all the fallout from the deadline deals and also a look into what it's like to execute or implement the no trade option of a contract, as we saw with Eduardo Rodriguez. Well, Mike has a great story about when he did exactly that in his last year. He already said he was going to retire 2010 that almost, almost made him a Yankee at the end of his career, which would have been kind of crazy to think about. But good stories, good insight, all the above. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you, FanDuel, for powering us through this thing. We appreciate it. At BB isn't boring. Producer Evan dominating the socials. Go go give him a look-see. He deserves it. We deserve it. Baseball's been boring. There you go. All right, here you go. You deserve to have a great way to punctuate this week, and that's exactly what we're giving you. Mike Lowell. One of the finest human beings on the planet, Mike Lowell. How about that for an intro? Let's go. Yes. Wow. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> On the planet. I'm moving up. Uh, well, that's only because uh, you now have a T-shirt, which you've been uh, – our relationship has been uh, had been severed for a while up until I handed you a T-shirt, Baseballs and Boring T-shirt, and I could see the smile on your face. It's like your life had been complete. You have a place in the Keys. You're living the life. You have a great family. You do the MLB network. But it wasn't until you got that T-shirt – that I think that the whole picture, the whole puzzle was put together. There you go. Well, you know, that was a major piece. Um, the only part that I think our relationship got fractured a little bit was when you told me it's in the mail. You know, one of those, you know, yeah, it's in the mail type deals. <laughs> and then, hey, I sent it to MLB Network. And I never saw it. So, you know, I, I didn't really know whether you were a man of your word anymore. But mm. when I finally got it, you know, there was just a little piece of my heart that was <laughs> much more happy. So thank you. I blame my assistant for that, uh, which is my wife. And <laughs> and, and so, uh, yeah. And by the way, also, History Mike, the first ever podcast uh, that has published back-to-back days of me with my co-authors. Because Joe Kelly was wow. Joe Kelly oh, dropped nice. today, yeah, yeah, or yesterday, and yeah. So, um, but uh, I always cherish my time doing the deep drive with you. Um, it was, it was as, as I've told many, many people, you were an absolute machine. You are a machine in, in terms of remembering stuff and articulating things, uh, and, and also being a good baseball player. So there you go. Well, thank you. I appreciate you putting in 12 hours at Starbucks and probably ordering four different coffees and just to get this thing done. I think we, had, we we set like a deadline for ourselves. You know, I don't know if that was smart, but we ended up getting it done. So I think that was yeah. Well, that nothing, was good on all fronts. Nothing's changed. I still spend 12 hours at Starbucks. I'm just doing different <laughs> okay. things. Uh, all right. So there's a couple of things I want to get to. Um, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I look at this last couple months and you get through the, the trade deadline and you know, I, it's, it was different when you play cause you had the waiver trade deadline, but there is sort of a, I would imagine you've been on teams that, that you said, okay, let's go, let's go. You know, this with the, the deadlines come and gone, you know, either we added, we subtracted, whatever. 
I have never been part of a Major League Baseball team that was that was rifling to a World Series of the playoffs. What are, what is it like right now for 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 a team that actually is competing? Well, I think any team, you know, is never fully complete. You know, there's always somewhere that you feel like you can improve. And from the atmosphere in the clubhouse, I think when, you know, management goes out and gets a piece, man, you just feel like the players and upper management are, we're really on the same page. Like, they really want to win. So two examples for me were when I was with the Marlins, um, this was after we won in 03, we had, you know, no more Pudge Rodriguez behind the plate. So we had, you know, we needed some, we needed some catching. And at that, that time, Paul LaDuca was, was an all-star catcher. And when we acquired him, we were like, wow, mm. you know, they believe in us, which was, a, which was, you know, it was a great feeling. And then I'd even go in 07, um, when we acquired Gagne. Now I didn't, Gagne actually didn't pitch as well as he wanted to, but you know, the name and coming in, I said, man, we had, you know, you had Okajima in the eighth, you had Papp in the ninth. I was like, we had Gagne, man. We could make these games six-inning games. So, you know, you feel like you get a little jolt of energy. You know, you feel like you add a little more depth. Because I think depth plays a lot going into the last two months. Everyone's tired. You know, mm. there, there's not a team out there that goes into August and is like, man, we feel so fresh. So that ability to maybe not tax the bullpen as much or give, you know, uh, some guys that are position players that are just grinding it out every day an extra day off. Um, I think it plays big to be able to then feel as good as you can and, and as close to your best going into the postseason. That's a big part of it. I think that, and we've talked a lot about it around here, around the Red Sox, is that, yeah, okay, you know, you can roll with what you have, but what you have and what you've done doesn't necessarily translate to the last two months because you've been beaten, beaten down by a baseball season, you know? And so, I mean, like, to, to your point, you have to sort of supplement it some way, somehow. Maybe that's from the minor leagues. I don't know. But to think that a guy, that a team is going to just be the same from for seven months and have the same sort of freshness that you did in the first three or four, I mean, I can't imagine that's realistic. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're just kidding yourself. You know, if you really think that you can, you know, go in with the same, um, I don't know, arsenal, let's say, that you do in April and May, um, to carry that through August and September, I, I, I think you're you're probably asking to do something with smoke and mirrors, and usually that might work for a week, ten days, but it's not going to last for two months. So that the supplementing of some area, you know, even if it's a, if it's a strength to add depth to it, it's it's huge. It's huge because um, when the postseason comes, I don't think you always play the best player. You know, we've seen it time and again. You play the hottest hand. Hmm. So if you have more than one option to choose from for the hottest hand. And it's not really position player based. There might be one or two positions where you can think that, but I think it's more bullpen. You know, there there's some guys that they're just on and they're on for a good, you know, week week and a half. Well, you got to ride that guy in the postseason because in the end, you know, like they always say, check your egos at the door. But it's really prevalent in the postseason because everyone wants to. You'd hope everyone wants to win the World Series mm-hmm. instead of saying, "Hey, this is my turn. I need the inning here." Uh, even though my ERA is a seven in my last seven appearances, you know what I mean? Like, like, like we got we got to play the guys that give us the best chance because it's such a short term thing, and each game is so important. You you talked about the clubhouse. You know, this, this what you just talked about about just resiliency and understanding that you got to get to October and through October. But then there's like the clubhouse aspect of it, um, and like 
like you also said, you Gagne comes in. Hey, you know what? We got Gagne. Whether he pitches well or not, it, it's basically a letter from the front office saying we believe in you. Go get him. Right? I mean, that's that's not. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Now, and I don't think that translates into guys are going to practice harder. That guys are going to you know take more batting practice. You know, I I, I struggle to believe that guys don't give a hundred percent day in day out. But what it does do is. When front office comes into the clubhouse, or if they ask you to do something a little extra, man, you're a lot more accommodating because they you feel like they had your back, they went to bat for you. It's like any relationship, you know? If you feel like someone supports you in what you're doing, when that person asks you to do something, you're much more likely to say yes. And I just think it breeds a much better, uh, let's call it a working relationship, because I really believe when I first came up to the big league, so you're talking the late 90s, mm-hmm. I felt most teams were upper management and players. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't feel like there, there was a, this was a cohesive unit. It was, we run the money and, you know, <laughs> baseball ops, and you guys are on the field. So a lot of times I think some, you know, 25-men roster felt like they were maybe up against the world and, and up against their own management at times. And I'm just saying teams I was on, I think, across the board. And I think that communication is really important now because – um, there are a lot of things that baseball has to do that affect the guys on the field and much more now with how analytics play in. So I, I think it, it's, it only improves the whole environment of winning, let's say, when the players and upper manager feel like they're on the same page. Well, along those lines, then you have the, the non-traditional deadlines where, you know, and there might not have, not have been a more non-traditional deadline for you than 2008, the Manny situation, right? So Manny's obviously a really, really good player, but it got chaotic in that last month. And then they make the three-way deal, and you get Jason Bay, a really, really good player. Take me through what that was like, you know, leading up to it also. And then did, did, when you guys came out on the other side, you know, they, did you feel like, okay, you know what, we don't have Manny, but we do have a good player? Or were you just like, hey, we don't have Manny, this is going to be harder? No, that, that was a tough situation because I, I honestly have a soft spot for Manny. I, uh, for me, he's the best right-handed hitter that I saw because it, it seemed like he had no weaknesses. When I look at, you know, when they talk about the quadrants, up and away, up and then low and away, low and in, he had no weakness. And I was like, how is this guy so talented? So, you know, when, when we would have meetings and be like, what are we going to do with Manny when he doesn't want, we're like, hey, hold on. It's 40 and 130 every year. Let's, let's <laughs> you know. It, it, this can't be like, you know, a, a, a tyrant, you know, a government where everyone's treated the same. You know, you've got to do things a little different for different guys. It's kind of like the way Jimmy Johnson said he coached the Dallas Cowboys. He said, if Troy Aikman fell asleep, you know, during video, what would you do? He goes, I'd tap Troy on the shoulder and tell him to wake up. And he goes, but if a special teams guy falls asleep, I'm going to cut him. So, you know, you you got to understand what you're playing with. So the only part that I think became very difficult with Manny was, his locker was in the training room. Hmm. He was not part of the clubhouse. So when he made his statement that, you know, his big thing was he had two option years hmm. and he wanted the team to pick him up. So when it became that, and then when, when you can make the statement, you can say whatever you want, I don't care. But then when you don't respond, when the media wants to talk to you, what is the media going to do? They're going to go to all the other guys. Hmm. Hey, how do you feel about what Manny says? So for me, I'm, I was a very... I don't know, I guess you could call it in a certain way, you're selfish. I was very selfish when it came to my preparation for a game. Hmm. Like, I liked my routine. I liked doing things. I, I tried to eliminate distractions. And that was 
I don't, I had no problem talking to the media, but I wanted, if I was going to talk to the media, I wanted to be at a certain time, you know, which was accommodating to everyone. Mm. But I didn't really want to waste time talking about Manny's contract. I go, Manny's made more money than I ever dreamed of making playing baseball. <laughs> you know, why, why am I worried about me? Like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care for the distraction of other people asking me my opinion on Manny's contract situation because honestly, whether my opinion, whether I went one way or the other, wasn't going to change anything anyways. That was John Henry and Theo Epstein's problem. Mm. You know, so so that's where I think it became uncomfortable. And then when it just got to the point where we knew we were better off without him, I. Personally, I played against Jason Bay a lot when he was with Pittsburgh, and he was a pain in the butt for us. Hmm. So when I picked, when we picked him up, I was excited, and honestly, he was fantastic for us. Hmm. He was, I mean, it was speed. He hit great. He, you know, we plugged him into the middle of the lineup. He's a great team guy, a worker. So I'm not saying he put up Manny numbers, but it, w- it would have been tough to find anyone else that could have done as good of a job during that run than what than what Jay Bay did. For me, honestly, 08, my biggest regret for me was my, my hip. Because mm. I felt like if I was healthy, you know, we going back to depth, Marcotte could have given us depth instead of moving you to third because I needed hip surgery. I'm putting Kotze at first. You know, he was an outfielder. Not that he's not capable, but, you know, you're putting guys in a postseason situation playing positions that they didn't play for 150 games. Mm. You know, and that, you know, that hurt us. So that that's kind of my... Health-wise, biggest regret that I really believe we had a team to repeat. Yeah, yeah well, you, really you guys are good, and I think it wasn't just you. I mean, I remember, you know, Beckett that game six. I think you, you you end up winning in the ALCS, but you know he had like he didn't really even have a lat. You know, he's pitching yeah. a, a lat. So um, in that case, you had mentioned before about the the front office. You know, the how the front office. You know, it's the interaction with the front office. Uh, there was probably some interaction with the front office asking you guys sort of what you thought, or was there? Um, yes, we actually, you know, one thing about the Red Sox, which was very unique, it was unique to me because I didn't have this when I was with the Marlins, was we had um, a couple times a year we had these roundtable meetings. And what I liked about it is the people invited to those meetings were across the board uh, involved in the organization. It was John Henry, it was Tom Warner a lot. Theo, it was Jack McCormick, our trial and coordinator. It was one of the trainers. It was a couple players. It was Tito. Um, you know, you, you, you had you had a lot of different um, boxes checked on how an organization worked. And, you know, it, we were asked opinion on travel. And, you know, the big thing going into 08 was I remember in 07 we had the meeting where we say, we're thinking of starting in Japan. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> and Tito, they asked Tito, what do you think? He goes, well, I think it's a nightmare. You know, you shorten spring training, all this. And Dice K was in that meeting, and through his trans, they were like, how is he? He goes, it's a terrible idea. Because when you come back, the jet lag is so bad when you come back, he says you need a week to 10 days to recover, but we're going to be basically in the middle of the season. Yeah, not in the middle of the season, but right. you know, at the start of the season. Yeah. The middle, you know, there's no real spring training. So I think Jack McCormick said it was going to be a logistical nightmare. The trainer said, we don't like it. Pitchers aren't going to be ready. And no one liked it. So the next day we were told, guess what? We're opening the season in Japan. So I just tell you that sometimes, you know, and, and, and you know, this was, a, this was you know, there, there are more factors than just what the Red Sox player want. want. You know, they, I think it's, you know, they were, we were trying to improve the game, go a little global. And I think, you know, the fact that we were having such stars from Japan, um, come in, you know, guys like Otani now, who knows, maybe those series are 
really excited some some of the Japanese ball players of the future to want to play. But I remember we were like, no, no one wants to do this. This is this is this is a miserable idea. And whatever, it lasted twenty four hours. Yeah, but you know what? You guys were all yeah, right. Were very important. You guys were all right. It was a nightmare. It was like it was a nightmare. It's like you guys. It was, it was the hardest adjustment to start a season I've ever had in my life. It's crazy because just the time. You know, I think we went to LA and played a practice game. Then we went to Japan. Then we went back. Played more practice games. Went to Toronto. I don't. I don't even remember. It was like oh yeah, got the, to Boston. The, I was like, where are we? Are we like in another planet? There was so there was there was a few images I remember. Um, there were sort of microcosms. It was Sean Casey getting off the plane in Tokyo, not being able to move his neck um, because he slept on it wrong, and then you and then you had to. Uh, then I think JD hurt himself or something, and they, Brendan Moss had to be activated home run. Um, you have That's true. I, oh, I got a good one for you. There, yeah. Bob. Speaking of, before we get on the plane, our team doctor, Doctor Ronan, who is a fantastic individual, yeah. says, "Hey guys, we're leaving somewhere around late afternoon. This is a long flight. Can to not go to sleep because when we land in Japan, it's going to be about eleven o'clock at night, and you're if you go to sleep, your eyes are going to be wide open. It's going to take you forever to get used to this." So, of course, me following all the rules, we were playing cards. I said, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to sleep. Because once we get to Japan, I will give you guys an ambient. If you guys haven't taken an ambient, take half of one so you can get to sleep. And maybe we can, you know, beat this jet lag and, and shorten it a little. So, okay, we're on the flight. Uh, two, three hours come in, you know, they, and we chartered a great plane. It was oh, yeah. We, we, we were on it. We were yeah, on it. It was fantastic. Yeah. So, I remember about two, three hours in, I walked to the front of the plane. Dr. Ronan has a glass of wine, and he is out cold. And I'm like, what are, what are we doing? So I said, we got to wake up Doc Ronan, you know? So we wake him up. We're like, Doc, didn't you tell us not to go to sleep? He goes, no, I told you not to go to sleep. I'm not playing. I can go to sleep all I want. So that was great. So so I was, I did not go to sleep. It was probably, what, an 18, 19-hour trip, right? Yeah. I am not sleeping. I remember I asked the driver when we get to the, to the, the buses from the airport, how far to the hotel and you know i'm feeling kind of tired and he said oh it's about 10 15 minutes i said you know what i'm gonna take half an ambient i am not i don't take sleeping stuff so for me half an ambient is like more than anything i need i take yeah. half the ambient we get to the hotel i am out cold in the bus and someone i don't remember who they tapped me on the street goes hey mike we're here i was like oh wow okay great so i felt like a zombie i was like man i feel weird i got to the hotel remember the hotel they gave us like they were like pirate keys. They were real keys. They yeah. weren't like credit cards. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they take your bags, all your baseball stuff. You get to the hotel. You wait 20 minutes. You call down to the lobby. You say, hey, hi, I have a couple bags. My number's 25. I'm in room, whatever. Yes, okay, we'll bring them up. No problem. So I said, you know what? I'm going to wait 20 minutes, and um, I'm going to call down for my bags. I'm just going to lie down here in bed. The next thing I hear is a knock on the door in the room, and it's housekeeping. The lady comes in and she goes, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, I was dead asleep in my suit. My door was open with the key still in the door. I fell asleep all night. I left the door open the whole night. The lady walked in. So I didn't have my bag. I was still in my suit and everything. I was like, well, now I know that hotel is pretty safe because if anyone wanted to rob me or anything, I'd be uh, uh, but I, the ambient killed me. I, I've never taken an ambient since then. I, I just can't handle it. I'm a lightweight, I guess. That, 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 that's the second best ambient story I've heard. The other is Pedroia, which I can't say. Uh, so. okay. All right. <laughs> 
something that he 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 woke up. He took an Ambien. He woke up with vegetables all over him from ordering room service. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, so, uh, well, real quick, my my mem- one of my other memories was Ortiz. Fall- uh, you went to a workout at Dodger Stadium when you got back, and Ortiz in asleep in the dugout, like just passed out. And then you guys getting to Toronto and Papelbon just going nuts for anyone who wants to hear this is the worst. This is the worst. And I've never, I've never, I've never seen a team Mike ever covering any team sleepwalk through a series like literally and figuratively like like that series in Toronto but anyway yeah I, I think when we got on the plane to go to Japan I think it, it was something like or felt like three weeks before we even got to Boston yeah it was yeah and I was like well, where, where are we so well, yeah well, maybe well, we did it once you can say we did it that's yeah. about it but I, so so anyway so in 2008 you get <laughs> weird segue but you, you get through the uh you get the, through the tra- that trade deadline um another part you that they came up in this deadline was obviously eduardo rodriguez turning down uh using his right to turn down a trade um that has come out and uh and you went through a little bit of that and i mean i don't know all the particulars but you had a deal they had a deal for what year was that to the yankees was that 10 this is this 10 yeah this yeah. was my last year I, I knew i was retiring and with my hip situation, I wasn't playing much, and I don't know the exact time. I know it was August or September, and I'll never forget. Um, I'm called into Tito's office, and Theo was there, and they're like, "Hey, we have a trade on the table for you." And I was like, "Oh, okay," because I knew there was a chance at one point going to Texas, and they said I might DH, and there was another chance going to Minnesota, and like for me, DHing was a true possibility. You know, mm-hmm. with my hip, what 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 a really felt like what wore me out was playing defense but I'm not going to DH for the Red Sox because David's there you know so hmm. um, to a certain degree I was like you know what for two months I'd I, I go to another team there's a chance maybe to go to the postseason because I just wasn't contributing at all hmm. so I didn't know where to stay I, was, I felt like I was a little bit in limbo and I said well Theo where is it and he goes well you have to waive your no trade clause and I said wow that's weird I only had a three team no trade clause like I could name three and the Red Sox named three teams and basically I named and nothing against them. I just named West Coast teams. I didn't want to go to the West Coast. Right. You know, I think it was San Francisco, San Francisco, Oakland, maybe Detroit, I think, were my three teams. I didn't even know what the Red Sox had picked. So one of the teams the Red Sox picked were the Yankees. Seems mm. obvious. Mm. So Theo goes, we have something in place for you to go to the Yankees. And I was like, you're willing to basically, sw- I know they had to swallow some of my contract that was left. For me to go to the team that's our arch rival, I felt like, so useless you know i go this is where i've I've come for the last i don't know maybe it was six weeks eight weeks of the season so sure enough i don't know karma of the world happens and you it's a line drives a shortstop and he jams his finger and i think he ends up tearing tearing something in his hand tearing a a tendon in his hand so the trade doesn't happen i end up playing first and you know i actually ended up great and i was so happy i was able to end my career in a Red Sox uniform but it was it was kind of a surreal moment because I mean I started my career with the Yankees I was a call up in 98 but I really didn't want to end my career with the Yankees after all you know I, I had you know I don't know I had learned to love competing and beating the Yankees this is what I wanted to do I didn't want to go back at that point so it was I felt I just felt Useless, you know that if the well, Red Sox want to trade trade me to the Yankees, what, what, there's nothing in store for me. Well, so so did you at least initially? Did you say no? I mean, what was like your reaction? Because like you said, well, I call, you know, there's 
I, I, I've always had a good relationship with Brian Cashin, but I can't talk to him. You know, there's tampering. Right. So I, w- I was trying to get information through through my agent, and I said, I, you know, what, what role is this? Like, I don't know. And and at that time, it was, I think Alex Rodriguez was going through hip issues himself. They wanted, I think, someone who could DH and face lefties. So it kind of appealed to me to, that I would play because I just wasn't playing. Hmm. And uh, and then I, I think that night or the next day, they acquired Lance Berkman. And that's when I um, I, I told my agent, I don't think I told Theo, um, that I said I, I would invoke my no trade. I, I am not going to the Yankees to just sit on the bench. He goes, to sit on the bench, I'll sit on the bench for the Red Sox. Right. You know, so... Um, so I, I don't think I, I don't know how quick it would have materialized, but I do remember the meeting, and I was just like, "Oh wow, this is!" I didn't see this coming. You know, I never, I never saw that turn of events. Well, that you know, and teams it, being ended up. And the part that you know, like, it, like you said, I mean, the sort of the question, what the reason I asked the question was because you know, guys, you've earned that right. You've earned the right to say yes or no. But the other part that I didn't think about was sort of the when they tell you it's the Yankees, which you're ingrained for the last previous whatever three years. Hey, this is the team that we're competing against, and all of a sudden, hey, we're trading them to just that guttural guttural reaction of what you're willing to trade me to the Yankees. I mean, I don't know. Go ahead. Oh yeah, it, it, it hurt. It hurt. You know, I was like, wow. If you think. Our team, you know, because no one does a move to not be better. So my thought was, do you think our team is better that I'm not on it and I go to the Yankees? I was like, wow, uh, that that hurts. But, you know, look, it didn't materialize. And I will say my relationship with Theo Epstein being a GM was fantastic. You know, one thing I do appreciate with Theo was uh, he was very honest with me in 09. I mean, my hip was, was killing me. You know, it was just, it was just one of these things where... I was so frustrated because it took me two hours, two and a half hours, just to get ready to be able to take batting practice. And then once I felt like I was ready, I was, I felt like I had 70% of the power that I was used to having. And, you know, I'm not David or Manny. I didn't hit the ball, you know, 60 rows back. You know, my home runs were 10 rows back. So it was just so frustrating, you know. And, and Theo called me and says, hey, we've made a trade for Adam LaRoche, and it's going to cut into your playing time. And, you know, for me, now having helped out coaching high school kids and everything, I appreciate so much what Theo did because at the time, was it something I wanted to hear? 100% no. You never want to hear that they want to pick someone up to take a bats away from you. But I was so appreciative that at least he was a, a man and he called me and he told me that this is what they were doing and that's how it goes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, so I think the truth is much better than then you know sugarcoating it and then finding out that you know all along they were trying to find you know a left-hand bat to to be able to take you know improve the team which is fine you know that's the way life goes right so what when you look from a distance now at like at, at how gm's running things and and how things are done and i don't not necessarily even communication but just you know the the buying the selling the prioritizing the the getting you know like maybe prioritizing the guy with a six ERA who has a good spin rate over the guy who'd done it before. I know that's sort of a a, a broad brush, to, but from your perspective, and you look at this trade deadline, what jumps out at how things are done now compared to maybe like you know when you played? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, I, I, think, I think there are teams that do have a knack of picking up players and, and based on the analytics they have, able to tweak those guys and maybe have them perform better. And for me, two examples that stick out would be the Astros and the Rays. Mm. You know, it just seems like, I mean, Verlander was good, but when he went to Houston, like it seemed like he changed his arm slot a little bit and he got his fastball up in the zone back. His curveball and his slider were much sharper. So, you know, they saw something. Now the player has to buy in as well. You know, I give Verlander a lot of credit because he put together a monster stretch. And look, they liked it so much they just traded for him. So um, I do think track record, you know, does play a little bit for a postseason run. But in the end, I think players need to understand that this is a business. And if you, if you go with that understanding, I think I, I think it's maybe a little more palatable mm-hmm. when change happens. But on the flip side, I don't think you can get mad at Eduardo Rodriguez for saying, I don't want to go to the Dodgers because my family is comfortable in Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why that clause was negotiated in case he doesn't want to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now it's hard. Maybe, maybe I won't feel the same way. You know, Detroit, you're not winning. The Dodgers got a chance to win a World Series. So you have to weigh those factors, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know his family situation. Maybe he's got his kids and they're in love with their school in Detroit. He doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to up and leave. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the situation, but he has a right. So mm-hmm. if, if the front office can play the business game, the players should be able to as well. And, and, and then it, it can be respected, you know? So, uh, but that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Um, on both sides. I still remember back in the day, Fred McGriff invoked a no trade. I think he was on the Cubs. Hmm. And I remember as a kid saying, this guy's nuts. He's going to a contender. How does he not want to win? You know? But who knows? Maybe Fred McGriff had his own reasons. And he's fine. He just got into the Hall of Fame. So he turned out quite all right. Two last things. What move on this deadline, because you're a big MLB network, big shot. <laughs> And, 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 and uh, I see you, I, I'm sitting in the clubhouse, and I look up, and I'm like, oh, there he is. There he is, the straw that stirs a drink when it comes to MLB oh, Network. Oh, yeah, you know that. You know that's true. Uh, yeah, that, that whole organization. By the way, by the way, I saw your buddy, Mike Redman, when Colorado was in town. Okay. And, and I told him the story of uh, <laughs> of the year uh, the year he first became manager and he asked you to become bench coach and he's like nah I'm good and then and then, and then like they're going through this epic like 15 game losing streak and that like right in the middle of it there's a picture of you and Bora Bora on a paddleboard so, <laughs> so oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah anyway so what what move do you like the best of all these trade deadline moves Oh, wow. Um, I think the Jack Flaherty move can be sneaky. Okay. I kind of like that one. Um, Let me see. Let me see. You know which one I I like because... Go ahead. I thought Dylan Cease was going to go somewhere, and I thought he was going to be the game changer. Yeah, I think... For someone. I heard heard that it might have been close with the Orioles, but, you know, close... 
again, closer, especially for these, a lot of these GMs who value prospects maybe like, <laughs> like more than we would want them. Uh, Correct. Yeah, I mean, this is this is part of the part of the a whole other conversation. But yeah, I thought that he might go. But um, uh, the one that, and not just because he pitched well today, I believe. But Lorenzen, and I know everyone freaks out about. Yeah, I just saw. I just watched. I just watched. Right. The I know everyone freaks out about Reynolds. Like everyone, like we can't do a rental. We need some sort of control, and we need the five prospects back. And so you know, whatever. But all I know is this: is that like he's a good pitcher, and and you can say what you want about Dave Dombrowski. Like he didn't give up. He gave. He's good at not giving up guys who, usually are going to hurt you, and when you give them up. Yeah. So I like that yep. deal. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I like that one. I also I mean, how can you not like Verlander going to a you know, to a contending team? You mm-hmm. know? I, I, I think it's I mean it's pretty significant. You know, that team's stacked and they seem to make kind of a pretty shrewd move every once in a while and I actually one of the moves that I like more than anyone is not trading Cody Bellinger and Marcus Stroman Ooh. for the Cubs. You know? I, I think sometimes the moves you don't make because I think everyone viewed Bellinger as as trade bait. You sign a guy for one year, there's option years. He kind of looks like the MVP that he was four years ago because he was really struggling for me. He was an automatic out, it felt like, for two years. And now he is, you know, a plus defender in center. He could play first base. He runs well. He's hitting well. Mm. And you got to buy in somehow, you know, the Cubs are like, when, when do you... My biggest thing with the thing, when you mentioned Dombrowski, one thing I love about Dave, not only did I have a great relationship with him, but at this point in his tenure, he, you know that he is taking over a team to win now at the big league level. Mm-hmm. So you're going to sacrifice prospects. But what he has shown that he does well is he's great at valuing talent at the big league level. Mm-hmm. So you can't get mad at him for, quote-unquote, depleting big parts of your minor league system because that's not his job. He's at the point where Detroit knew that they were trying to win and they got to the World Series. The Red Sox knew, guess what? They won the World Series. The Phillies knew they got to the World Series. So, you know, there, there's no hiding it. So you got to, sometimes you you got to make the move. And when you really look at prospects, out of your organization's top four prospects, you're lucky if one of them turns out great. Right. You really are, if you look at it. I mean, the only team now that I say is really hammering home several prospects at the same time might be the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. Because with Abbott and Cruz and they got Steel, uh, not Steel, uh, a couple Steer, other guys. Yeah, they got Steer, they got uh, Steer, Steer, yeah. and on uh, whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's five guys. It's five guys that are contributing. Well, that's when you can go kind of like worst to first, especially in that division where, you know, it's, you're not, you don't have the powerhouses of the National League. So I don't covet, man, if you're close, like I watch the Marlins and I live in Miami, I mean, what do we save a Yuri Press for? Hmm. For saving innings for winning what? You're four games out, and then you give them a couple starts in September. Hmm. Well, you're a game, you're you're right now the third wild card team. Like I, I need the horse. Right, Let's get our horses in there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it always comes back to me when they did the innings eating with Steven Strasburg, oh. and every, and everyone said, "Oh, we're, it, caught, it might have cost us a chance to get the World Series. We'll get back there." Yes, they did get back there, but when they won. Strasburg signed a five-year, I don't know how many million-dollar deal in the 200s, and he's pitched 20 total innings. Yeah. So, so saving his arm three years prior proved that it didn't work. I don't think there's enough data to prove that if you throw a kid 40, 50 more innings, 
that you are truly saving his arm. Mm. And that that's where I struggle. I, I'll, you know? I'll give you my little rant, my 20-second rant, which is, which is if you have the opportunity to win without mortgaging the future, and, there's, and by the way, you don't have to mortgage the future. These guys that are being traded, as to your point, are, are guys like, you know, maybe they'll be major leaguers. That's fine. But if you have the opportunity to win, they don't come around a whole lot. And you know that. I mean, you know this. Like, if you have the chance, then do it. Just, you, and you can hold on to your top prospects. It's okay. Like, it yeah. drives me nuts. Um, yeah, well, my, my big deal is when you trade superstar guys, okay? Or let's look at Boston. When you trade Mookie Betts and you got a boatload of people, what were you hoping to get back? You're hoping to get back someone that can resemble somewhat Mookie Betts? Well, you have them. You have them. Why are we trading them all the time? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it, so it's hard. When you, when you get those superstar guys and the issue is money, it's hard to, to say, man, money we have. And there are certain organizations that have a lot more than others. Yeah. And pay for certainty or pay for some semblance of certainty. The last thing is one of my favorite questions. Um, who, if you had to start a franchise with one player, one player, it, who would it be? I'm going to say how this question was born. It was born, and I don't think I've asked you this, but I, if I did, I apologize. Um, it was born in 2005 during Theo's hiatus. He was at an event, and he was asked this question among at a charity event, and he said at that time Felix Hernandez. And you know what? It was a good good answer. That was a good pick. I I have in the last couple of years, I have said my guy is Julio Rodriguez, and I told Julio Rodriguez that, and then I asked Julio Rodriguez who his guy would be. You know what his answer was? Don't say himself. Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fine. Julio Rodriguez. Because you know what? Uh, he had a good actor players. He, he had a good. He had a good point. He knew, he knew Julio Rodriguez better than anybody. So there you yeah, go. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, so who, um, who who do you who do you who do you got? I mean, who do you got? Am I, am I going? Am I going current players? Or yeah. No. No. Players? Current. Yeah. Current, like if, you, if one current player, you said, okay, you I, got the first dr- yeah, draft pick. I cannot go against Otani. Okay. There's no way you can go against him. All right. An all-star caliber pitcher and MVP hitter. That's that's. I don't know. Oh, I, I like those guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a it's a fair point. And the only the, the caveat is obviously you know he's a little bit older than some of these other guys. And he, he might break down, but as as Buster Olney said, well if he breaks down pitching, he can always hit. And if he breaks down hitting, he can always pitch. So yep. not a bad one. Uh, Acuna was obviously the other popular answer. So yeah, well he's fantastic. Yes, but no but, but um, you know what? From the total, let me see who else would be a candidate for me. I would probably put. There's a couple Dodgers I'd put. I'd put Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts in there. Okay. Maybe maybe top five for me, starting a franchise. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I'll it, stick with those. Okay, that's good. All right. Well, once again, you've pitched a perfect game. Excellent job. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.